Really, the goal is just to use our stories to bring veterinary medicine to life for the pet caretakers of the world. Uh, and we're doing it because we believe that educating these caretakers is the most powerful thing that we can do to improve the life quality of all of the pets that we love. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Natalie Keith. Dr. Tracy Trussell. And this is Vet Tales. And today we're going to be talking to you about cruciate injuries and repairs and management and things like that. Cruciate repairs and management and things like that. What's a cruciate? Cruciate is the ligament in the stifle of the dog. And a little background is the stifle of the dog is the same as our human knee. It basically has all the same components. We have, you know, the, the femur, the upper leg bone, the tibia, the lower leg bone, the patella, the kneecap, uh, both meniscus. The In humans, they call it an ACL, anterior cruciate ligament. Yeah. And, and then there's a PCL, the posterior cruciate ligament. Or CCL. Or is that different still? It's different still. That's different still. I don't yeah. see ortho. And, and our dogs, because they're quadrupeds, not bipeds, we call it a cranial cruciate ligament and a caudal cruciate ligament. It is, in, in essence, the cranial cruciate ligament in the dogs is the same as the ACL in humans. In there. So that's what we're, we're talking about is you think about the ACL that we see in ACL injuries we see in people. Like when a football player blows their knee, this yes. is what we're talking about. That's it. Yeah, when the knee bone is connected to the leg bone. <laughs> yes, when it's no longer connected. <laughs> no longer, yes, uh, firmly connected anyway. Yes. So um, a couple of, of notions that, that I've had to misspell for or, or displace for years after I found out the, the same is that in most of our humans, like 95% of our, of our cruciate injuries or ACL injuries are traumatic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I know when I did mine, I jumped off a fence. Yeah, my border collie tore hers because she was pivoting and her foot kind of like was stuck in soft mud and she turned and her knee didn't. And yeah. that was it. Yeah, which is the rarity in the dogs. Yeah. <clears throat> because about 95% of our dogs' injuries are not traumatic. Yep. And they're, you know, it's, it's almost just exactly the opposite of the humans. Um, because what happens in our dogs. And, and why theirs aren't isn't traumatic is it's a little hard to describe on a, on a podcast, but the tibial plateau angle, you got you think of the knee, you got the femur, the end of the femur that is in the knee joint is round. Right. The top of the tibia, which is the other bone in the which knee joint. Which is the lower bone. The lower bone. The femur's is, the big guy. Yeah. It's flat. So mm -hmm. you have a round and a flat surface trying to come together to make a joint. Yeah. And, and round and flat, I mean. It's like the square peg in the round hole right. kind of thing. I mean, you think you, you set a ball on a flat surface, if it's not completely level, that ball's rolling off. Indeed. You know, I mean, it's just, just so physics just and gravity. So it's just a smoke ton of ligaments trying to hold everybody together. It is. So you think of what we, we look at the tibial plateau angle, which is the angle of the top of the tibia that's in the joint in relationship to the ground. Yep. Most of the time in humans, that averages about five degrees. It's five degrees off the, it's tilted to the to the backside just a little bit. Yep. Now in contrast, on average, um, just quick rough math of, of the ones that I've done, the average dog is about 26 to 27 degrees. That's a significant difference. That is. I mean, you just think of, 
the dynamic forces when you take a step when you put weight on the knee that femur is just trying to shove that tibia forward mm -hmm. it makes total sense which is what the one of the the main components that the acl does is prevent that tibia from sliding forward right in there and i mean it's just dynamic load and typically over time you, you think of the the cruciate ligament as like a cable and that's how I describe it. Anybody that's that listens to this that has been through one of these surgeries, they've heard this talk before. Mm -hmm. It's a cable you think of, you know, a cable is made as a large diameter item made out of several small Tinier, diameter. yes. You know, let's say you've got a, a little millions, million strand cable and, you know, as long as, you know, with a million strands intact, everything's great. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you lose 50,000 strands, you still have most all of the, the integrity that you need. Is there really a million strands? Or are we just using this? No, I just use that. Okay, just that's, checking. That's the number this I always use. how little use. I know about. Yeah. That's the number I always use. I like it. I okay. don't know how many strands there actually okay, are. Okay, just checking. And I think it depends on the size of the dog. Okay. Well, that's fair. But, but you know, just for, for easy numbers, you have a million strand cable. And because of the dynamics of the, of the dog leg, the, the tibial plateau angle, and some other conformational issues that, that some dogs will have, you know, they may break two or three strands every step they take just because of the stress that they put on that ligament just yeah. from walking, and which is fine. And every strand that breaks probably makes it a little easier for the next strand to break because we've got a little bit less support. It does a little bit. Um, it, it doesn't get to a great deal until you start start losing higher percentages till you've, you've lost, you know, 50, 60% of your integrity but you know you think you lose you know 5,000 strands here 10,000 strands there that's not a big deal but now you have your million strand cable well now you're down to you know after four or five years of that you're down to a hundred thousand strands you have ten percent of the capabilities that it had mm -hmm. at one time so then you make that one turn that one wrong step step off a curb it's like a it, time bomb it doesn't have to be much mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's gone in there. And now and one other thing, uh, jump in real quick, is we also do have partial cruciate yeah. tears because that, that was, was yeah. that was describing a, a full cruciate tear. We will have traumatic partial tears. You know, the you think of the agility dogs going over the jump and landing just not quite right, and they're like, yeah, that that hurts. Mm -hmm. And they can they can tear a, a number of those strands, but you still have enough integrity that they can function. But it does cause inflammation, swelling, and, and whatnot. And these dogs the are going to be lame for a short period of time. We're going to... They will be. Um, typically, we get them on, on anti-inflammatories is what we've done for years. And usually within a week, they're back to like nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. Well, as, as I found in some of my, my wet labs that I've gone to to learn how to, how to correct these that we're actually better off going to surgery on those partial tears. Yeah, which is not what they used to tell us. No, no, used to is like, just, just wait till it tears and then go fix it. Yeah. Because the surgery is the same, which is true. The surgery is the same in a partial tear or a complete tear. Um, but if you do the, the surgery, and, and actually any of there's there's several surgeries you can do to, to repair it, or to, you, you don't actually repair the ligament. But, but to, to repair the function of the leg, let's say. Repair the function of the leg. If you still have some of that, that cranial cruciate ligament intact, you're way better off because then that just adds to the stability of the knee. 
Okay, so you try to salvage what you've got left because right. it's not like you're replacing the cable. No. You know, so if you can if you can fix the functionality of the knee before the whole cable is gone. Yes. Then you can provide additional stability and decrease long-term side effects in this stuff yes. like arthritis yes. and joint disease. Yeah. Yeah, because they they've tried. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people on here have, have had or know of somebody that's had an ACL injury, human, and I know on mine. They took a piece of hamstring ligament, went right through exactly where the the ACL was, put a new ligament in, and everything's fine. Yeah. They tried that in the veterinary world. Tried that in our dogs for 20 plus years, somewhere in there. They started in the early 80s, and still try to work on it until about 2003 or four. I think is kind of when they when they gave Decided up. Decided they needed a new approach. Yeah, because it never they never and could probably, get it to work. And probably I bet it goes back down to that like five percent or five degree angle versus the 26 degree angle or whatever exactly. you said it was. Yeah, it's just too much. It's there's no way for that knee to heal without amount of pressure on it. Right. Yeah, they they couldn't find anything to go in there. That would do you know, the job. They tried nylon. I think some of them even tried steel cables. Jowzas. And you know, and then part of the patellar tendon, the, the hamstring tendon, like they do in us, and they'd look back in a year, and they're right back to where they were to start with. Mm -hmm. And just couldn't hold the pressure. Yeah. Yeah, the, the knee was in the same shape or worse because well, now you have all the arthritic changes that would, come with it. Would I be correct in saying that the anatomy of these dogs that this is largely happening to, you know, is the reason why that they're blowing the cruciates in the first place is because of the way that their anatomy is made. So then you're trying to replace a new cable, let's say, but the anatomy that's causing too much pressure on that cable to begin with is still the problem. So, right. Yeah. We didn't fix the problem. Right. We didn't fix the problem. Yeah. Okay. Look at me learning. I don't do orthopedics. I think I sh I'm going to say that. I'm going to try to say it seven times throughout the podcast. Yes. I do internal medicine. So I'm learning with y'all. It's great. Okay. Now on the other side of that, I don't do a whole lot of internal medicine. We can't do it all, chief. You know, no. got to pick our lane. That's why we need teams. Yes. Okay. So, okay, so that's the what of cruciate disease. Get, let's give us the, the who and the, and we kind of went over the why, the what and the why, but who's the who? Who is kind of the poster child for this is your four-year-old, 60-pound, fairly active dog. Yep. I mean, that's the poster child. That is the poster child. Um, now, can it happen in any any dog? Yes. It happened to my dachshund. You remember that time? And you stabbed I, yourself in the wrist I with do. the scalpel? I had to pull the scalpel out of his wrist. Yes. It was. Yeah, I had a little dachshund. I don't even know how she... Um, wait, guys, there goes Dr. Estep sneaking in the background. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know we're face, uh, Facebooking Facebook and podcasting. Sorry, podcasters, you could not see it, but it's really funny because she was sneaking. She was tiptoeing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, anyway, I digress. I don't remember how my dachshund blew her cruciate. But um, I do remember we had to fix it late one evening, like after hours, and mm -hmm. that you stabbed the scalpel blade into your arm, and I yes. had to pull it out and then bandage your arm, and then we still had to finish the surgery. Yes, yeah, we had to finish the surgery. I, had to, I was the yeah. only one there that had ever seen the inside of a knee. What's and that I, word for needle phobia? You uh, should. Know. I don't know, but I have it. But you have it. Yes, he. Yeah, and Dr. Chelsea's a big guy, like six five. There was no way I was getting him up if he went down. So luckily, he did not pass out. But that was quite the event that that many moons ago. That's been thirteen years ago, probably. Anyway, we mm, digress. Thirteen, maybe closer to fourteen. Mm, uh, yeah. But anyway, but yeah, we've you've seen it in 
And how she wasn't, what was she? She's probably two. My board two. probably was two yeah. when, when she blew her cruciate. Yeah. So. And what was Cheyenne was 10 pounds, 12 pounds? Oh, yeah, she's a bit bigger than that. I would say probably 15. 15. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I've had, I, I did do, I think it was a Yorkie, a bigger Yorkie that was like eight pounds. Yeah. Um, that's about as small as I can go for yeah. the equipment that I have. Oh, fair. Um, yeah, which we'll get to that later. I uh, have done, I think I had a Mastiff that was 168 pounds. There was Yankee. Yankee had two, Yankee was, he yeah. blew, he's a, a very, very, very overweight, and not as overweight now as he was then. No, we uh, made great strides yeah. for, for Yankee. Bloodhound. And he, he was right at 140 pounds, I think, yeah. when we did and it. Yeah, and he blew bro both cruciates at the same time and could not stand. And Dr. Trussell, literally, this is a true story, true story, can't stand. We think maybe he's gone down his back. Then we realize that, no, he's blown both cruciates. Uh, Dr. Trussell takes him in, does bilateral, meaning both knees, at the same time, TPLOs. That dog got up and walked the next day, and we all cried. This is yes. a true story. We all, true. like, I think even Dr. Trussell teared up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was so beautiful, like, to give that dog his his uh, mobility back. Because yeah. the owners, they're not, they, they you know, they're older and um, not able to lift a 140-pound dog. Like, this was life and death for this dog. Yeah, so it was. It was, I still, I can, we videoed it. I can still, I can still play it back in my mind like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that's been, what, three years now? Uh, it's probably close to two and a half, probably two, two and, and a half years. Yeah, um, and he's still doing great. Yeah, and, and now great. that he's getting around better, he feels better. He's lost weight, so I mean, yeah. like talk about fixing the whole dog by doing that. Like yeah, literally was, saved his life by fixing his knees. Anyway. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was beautiful. Um, anyway, so yeah, so there we have the spectrum. We've got these eight pound Yorkies, and we've got these hundred forty pound uh, bloodhounds. Yeah. But and most of the time, it, um, you know, and, and four four to five is the average. I've seen it as young as six months. I've seen it as old as 14. Yeah. And yeah. So. And that's a lot. I mean, and your, your um, approach will vary widely depending on those signalments and like right. what your options are for how to manage it, which we'll also get into. Um, but usually, but usually it's these young-ish, I mean, four to six-year-old, 50 to 70-pound dogs. Yeah. And tell them the fun part about this, or should I? I don't know. Yeah, you tell them. Well, the the fun part is, uh, as you listen to the the first portion of it, it's the the issues is caused by how the leg is made, and you know the basically the conformation of the leg, and how it goes in there, and how everything comes together, the 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 functionality, the dynamic loads that are that are put on the knee, the the mm -hmm. physics of it all. Um, the downside is most dogs have two back legs. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, if they have the genetics in one leg, those genetics are the same in the other yeah. leg. Yeah. And and because it's typically not an, a trauma a, thing, a trauma injury, um, about eighty percent of the time, within a year and a half, we're we're working on the second leg. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Eighteen months, eighty percent. Yeah. Yep. So just about the time you lick your wounds from the first bum knee, yes, we're back to bum knee number two. Yes. And it the can, good it news can is they only have two back legs. Yes, they only have two back legs. So, so you do it, you do it twice and you're done. Do it twice and you're done. Okay. Um, yeah, the one of the, the oddest ones and hardest ones that I had to tell the owner was I sent a dog home on Wednesday. 
No, oh. did surgery on Wednesday. Sent him on Thursday morning. <clears throat> Owner calls up right before we close Thursday and said, he's limping on the leg. Okay, yeah, we just did surgery. No, he's limping on the other leg. Yep. Brings him in first thing Friday morning. He has blown his other cruciate the day he goes home from surgery for his oh, first one. Gosh. That that was heartbreaking. That hurt a little bit. Yeah. It's just because they are the time bombs. He might have made it another year without the other one going, but yeah. there you have it. But yeah, it, it was, he made it one day. Yeah. I mean, and there are those dogs that have, um, you know, those partial damage to the knee and they do recover, um, but it seems like that typically within not very long, they go ahead and blow it completely in your back where you start. Yeah, and, it, and a lot of that depends on how much damage has happened. Right. You know, if, if you've damaged, you know, 30% of it, you're still going to have the pain and inflammation, but, the, but they're going to walk gonna on recover, for a while. Yeah. But if you at one time damaged 75% of it, yeah. they're not going to make it as long until it's a full tear. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about how you decide, like, diagnose these dogs for us. Oh, wait, I know how I do it. Can I tell them how I do it? Hang you on. You cheat. <laughs> yeah. I look at the dog, and I see he's got this classic toe-touching lameness on the back leg. The history is classic where the dog gets up, it's super like toe-touchy when it first gets out of bed, and then it like seems to be fine for a while, and then it gets worse, and then it seems like it's been getting worse over the past couple weeks, and they thought it would go away, but it didn't. And then I go, <clears throat> Dr. Trussell, <laughs> I think this dog blew a cruciate. Can you help? And then, and then you can do the rest, and then that's great. Yeah, I, it's, it's odd, and I've had a had a few clients question me about it, of how you diagnose it, and it's just with the physical exam, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and I've had several ask about you know CTs, MRIs, which is really they, common in human medicine. It's common in human medicine, and if you actually get to know and talk to a few surgeons, it's not as cut and dry as they make it sound on the human side. But again, it's a totally different species with a whole set of different anatomy, right. so it's... Right, and and our our knees typically are, are bigger than the dog's stifle as far as a joint size. Yeah, fair. Especially um, yours, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, CTs and MRIs on for our dogs don't don't show us enough. There's not a, We can't get enough detail out of that size of a picture to see. So very, very rarely... Um, I don't even know. I know the, the surgeons that teach me, they have the machines there. I don't think they have that as part of their di mm -hmm. diagnostics for a cruciate tear. It's more to prep for surgery. More to prep for surgery. Um, and, of course, they, they do a lot of other, other orthopedic surgeries, sure. you know, back surgeries, things Fair. like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's more of where it comes in. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, basically the, the diagnosis, uh, I'll use two things, really, to diagnose it, and that's one, my eyes. I want to see how they walk Yeah. and how they sit. It's wildly informative. Yes. Like, I'm seldom wrong. Just from me watching the dog taking the history and, like, assessing the situation, I'm, I am I would say I still have 95% accuracy. Yeah, I mean, we, the, the, our technicians and assistants had seen it enough Yeah. several years ago that, that they would see one walking in the door and come to me is like, yeah, I think you have a torn cruciate up there. It's what the dog's walking like. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, it's kind of classic. And, and they're very seldom were they ever wrong. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I watched them walk and then just put that leg through a range of motion and see, like, try to slightly hyperextend that stifle. Um, yeah. When you do that, it mm. is incredibly painful. And if you're not sure, you know, because, I mean, you don't want to really crank on it. I can make, I mean, I'm a big guy. I can make any dog stifle hurt if I want to. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so you know, point. it's, you don't really crank on it. You just put pressure. Get it, get it to extension, then just a little bit of pressure is all you need. And if, if you're not sure, you know, if I'm not sure, is it, is it really painful? Is the dog just not letting me mess with the leg? I'll do the other one, uh-huh. the one through walking normal on. And, and typically that's, there's a difference. Yeah. And there, and then the other thing that I use is what we call a cranial drawer sign, mm-hmm. where it is, I take, depending on the, the side of the, the leg, you know, uh, we'll say we're doing a right leg. I'll get behind the dog, put my left hand on the femur, index finger on top of the kneecap, thumb right behind the, the back of the patella, or the back of the femur, and grab the tibia with my right hand and just try to slide it forward. Just mm-hmm. to, you know, it's a it's not a normal motion for that knee. It should not move forward. It should not move forward. And if it moves forward, and depending on the size of the dog, there's measurements and, and things like that that I don't remember what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew them yeah. at one time. But I just, I know how much they can move based on size of the dog. And that's, I mean, that's a diagnostic test mm-hmm. right there. If you have a good a cranial drawer sign and pain on extension of the stifle, they have a cruciate injury. Now, is it complete or partial or a strain or a stretch? We don't know until we get in there, but there's enough of but an the, injury. We've yeah. got to go look. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the correction plan would be the same for all of those things. Yes. Unless they just like, you know, you know, we sprain an ankle or whatever, and you get over it. But usually, these dogs are coming in after that normal window of time has elapsed. Yeah. And a lot of times, what I will do on those weird, like in the middle ground cases, is send them with a week of anti-inflammatories. If we're still lame in a week, this is not just a simple ouchie. Right. right. Yeah, and I, I've done that on a lot of those that are just because not all of them are cut and dry. I mean, it's it's not all black and white. Yeah. And I've done that and felt I'm like, yeah, it's it. It may be there, but I'm not sure. We've got a lot of swelling in, in the knee, so let's get that out so we can better assess it. Yeah. So I'll send them home on a week's worth of anti-inflammatories to come back. All the swelling fluids out of the knee that shouldn't yeah. be there. And you're like, oh, yeah. Okay, now we can we go. tell it. Sometimes the swelling is just, it's, everything's too taut and right. poofed up. Yeah, I mean, that's the body's just trying to stabilize the joint. That's what it does. Yeah, it's a clever little body. Yes. So tell us about the x-rays. Where do those come into play? Um, the x-rays for me come into play twofold. One, and especially like my preliminary x-rays, because a lot of them I will take the day of sir, the day of diagnosis. Um, not to diagnose the knee. I mean, there's, there's some signs in there that will help us diagnose a cruciate injury. But my biggest thing I want to look for is what kind of arthritic changes do we have in that knee? make sure we don't have a fracture in there make sure sadly i had this um didn't pick it up initially till after we did surgery at a dog that the reason he tore his cruciate was because he had a bone tumor in his knee which is super weird because yeah. it's you know it's not supposed to be in the knee no it's it, not that's typically not where it's away from the knee so that one is you know that one still sticks in my mind 
Um, but looking for, for other issues, making sure we don't have other issues to go along with that need that we have to, to look at addressing. You know, make sure we didn't do didn't have a chip fracture or, or you know, a fracture of the, the tibial crest, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Tibial um, crest avulsions. Yeah, tibial crest avulsions, you know, <coughs> a patella fracture. Looking for for other that's the biggest thing I use my preliminary x-rays for is to look to see if there's any other issues that we need to address as we're going to repair this. Yeah, that would change your plan. Yes. But then you take specific x-rays at the time of procedure to do your measurements for the correction. Right. So let's just talk about what, let's assume, let's assume this dog's got to go to surgery now. Um, we've talked about the fact that there are several surgical approaches that mm -hmm. are done. Um, they all have their pros and cons, but since we're at Northside, let's talk about what we do. Yeah, there are, are several options. Um, and and uh, I will say that not that every option has some validity in a, in specific cases. Right. Um, I did one type of repair here for a long time. The lateral suture. The lateral suture that that still has some validity in some cases. Um, very rare. I'm finding it less and less. Um, but there's still some, and, and our surgeons, the, the, the guys... The little bitty that, dogs, right? Yeah, the little bitty dogs. Um, but yeah, the guys that, that taught me how to do my TPLO surgery, they still use it from time to time. You know, they'll say once or twice a year. And now, and you have to think once or twice a year, these guys are seeing three and four of these surgeries a, a day. day. Yeah. You know, so it's, the, it, it's limited. Um, but They're, not completely obsolete. No, not not obsolete. There's a CBLO, which is a, a different type of an osteotomy. Um, I've talked to a few surgeons that aren't aren't a fan of that. It seems to put a, a lot of extra strain on the patellar tendon. Okay. Um, classmate of mine doesn't like it and doesn't do it for that. Uh, it sounded great because it doesn't get into the growth plates. You can do it on the younger animals. Oh, okay. But he started seeing some some issues with the patella tendon, tibial crest stuff like that. So. Okay. So not a not a huge fan of that, but it still has its calling yeah. in there. Um, there's a tibial tuberosity advancement, a TTA. Yes. Um, <laughs> so that that got big for a little while. Um, there's some background on why it was bigger than the TPLO for a while, but I won't bore you with the details on that. We won't remember anyway. Yeah, um, that seemed promising. But that again was putting a lot of strain on the, the patellar tendon. But, but like I said, there's times that that's, that's the proper surgery to do. Um, you know, it's, it's minimal, but there are times that that's, that's still the best option. And then we have the TPLO or the tibial plateau leveling osteotomy. Um, everybody remember way back when, about, oh, 22 minutes ago, roughly, probably. Yeah. Uh, looking at the time, we had talked about that tibial plateau angle the difference between the dogs and the humans. And what we have found in the dogs is that if we correct that angle to more like what the humans are. So we're taking that 27 degrees or 26 degrees and, and making it closer to five. Closer to five. Five is ideal. Anywhere from three to eight or nine functions the same. You can't tell the difference functionally in there. Um, but we found that once we get to that point, because of the way that the dog 
walks as a quadruped, that cruciate ligament really isn't needed anymore. Mm -hmm. so, so we're not repairing the cruciate ligament, we're repairing the dynamic functionality of the leg. Mm-hmm. So, and it works It's works amazing, well. the fact that these dogs walk the next day on these, because you're, I, I don't understand it nearly as well as you, obviously, because again, I don't do orthopedics. Um, but you're putting a plate in the leg, you're basically taking part of the bone, taking it off, changing the angle, and then using a plate to screw it all back together, and then the body heals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wild. But the thing about breaking a bone, let's say, um, or a fracture, even if it's surgically induced, the pain of a broken bone is largely in the instability. Mm -hmm. of that fracture and so when you're immediately stabilizing it with this with this honking plate those, these things are legit piece yeah, of metal they're, they're stout yeah um i mean they could hold up yankee yeah and uh and they uh these dogs they walk better the next day than they did the day of the surgery yeah many of them are, are walking many of them are walking out not normal i mean we just had a surgery on the leg but the next day they're walking out better than they walked in. Yeah, that's wild. And that's not at all what we saw when we did the lateral sutures. You know, those dogs no. would struggle to get their mobility back for Yeah, weeks. I mean, we, we were hoping, I was hoping in two weeks they were, they were letting Toe their touching. foot rest on the ground yeah. when they were standing. Wild, because, and that was way less, in, in my opinion, way less invasive to the bone. I mean, you're just putting, oh, yeah. you're just putting a little drill hole and, and putting the little, what looked like fishing line to me through it. And clamping it there, like it, nothing to me that seems as intense as these TPLOs, no. but yet those dogs were much more painful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's and just much a, slower to heal. A little drill hole, and I guess they just weren't as stable. Suture, they weren't as stable. They're, and that's it's probably not why. as stable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're taking a. Yeah, it, it sounds a little little rough, but we're taking a saw and cutting that bone putting some pins in there, rotating part of that bone, clamping it back together, putting a plate with anywhere from three or from six to 10 screws in it, going all the way through the bone, and then closing it up. Yeah. And they're walking the day after. Stinking wild. Yeah, it's crazy. So then they're going home on NSAIDs, right? Like anti-inflammatories. Yes. yes. And they're gonna stay on that for a couple weeks. Usually I put them on a couple weeks. Okay. Um, and probably 94. Five ninety-six percent of them do fine after the two weeks yep. of the the anti-inflammatories. So now I know the answer to this question, uh, but why don't you tell them what is the most important thing about this surgery? The most important thing is the eight weeks after surgery. There it is the aftercare. Yes. It's critical. Like if we don't take care of these dogs post-op, then we can re-damage everything. Right, and and before you know with. The, the lateral suture that I did before, you know, if they tore that suture, okay, we go in and we put another suture, not a big deal. These, now we're doing a whole lot more to the bone. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're cutting, that, that tibia is cut into two pieces and then, in surgery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we're putting this big honking plate on there. To hold it back together. To, to hold it back together. That's the only thing that's holding this dog leg together. I mean, that in and of itself for for at least the first four weeks. I mean, mm -hmm. there's not enough healing to have yeah, any bone, kind of stability. Yeah, bone regrowth takes a while. Yeah, so I mean, that, that plate and those six to 10 screws, that's all that's holding this leg together. So, um, luckily it is it is a big plate. Those those are big screws, they're, they're stout. Everything has some, has a lot of rigidity to it. Yeah. 
the problem is, is if that fails, it's if it has a catastrophic failure, it is a catastrophic failure. Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere else to go. You, you have nothing left to, because, I mean, if you rip that plate off, rip the screws out, you have no bone left. Yeah. I mean, we're So we're not to freak everybody out, but kind of yeah. to freak everybody out, because, like, you've got to take this seriously. The surgery is literally amazing, but you've got to do your work after to keep these dogs leash walked, cage rest. Right. Um, we do laser therapy. Not everybody does that, but we have found great success with post-op lasers. We did it, uh, especially when we were doing the lateral suture, it cut my healing time. Yeah. My, my recovery time from surgery to walking normal down by a third. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think it expedites our healing process in the TPLOs. And makes them more comfortable in the middle. They're they're more comfortable in the middle. I don't know that they're walking any better. You know, in the time mm -hmm. frame. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it expedites the the total healing process yeah. to where, and they're, by where we get to the end. Yeah. Getting faster. through that risk window of damaging the right. surgical repair. Yeah, and the the risk window, as odd as it sounds, the worst part, the highest risk in this surgery is four to eight weeks post-surgery. Because everybody starts feeling good, everybody gets a little lax. Like, I mean, did he really mean eight weeks? And the answer is yes, yes. he really mean eight weeks. Yeah, we have a whole booklet that goes home with everybody that um, has the surgery to like reinforce like the post-surgery care of these dogs. Yes. And, and they're not cheap. We won't really say how much they are because you know, if you're at a different clinic, it may be different, but uh, it's an investment in your dog's health. And so like, you don't want to waste that money either. Like. Usually, by the time people are committing to the surgery, like they're they're all in. Yeah, yeah they're they're committed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it, it's at least a, two or three good car payments. Yeah, I mean depending on your car. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's at least three good truck payments. I don't want to talk about truck payments. I understand, but. Yeah. But I mean, but but you guys get the idea. Yeah. It's it's not cheap. It's not, <clears throat> not something that. Uh, you know, you're gonna gonna quit drinking Starbucks for a month and afford it. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, it's an investment. And in yeah. So yeah, you want to take it seriously for your dog's health, for your mental sanity, all that stuff. So the doctor Trussell doesn't cry whenever yes. you ruin the surgery because you didn't yes. listen to the post-op care. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, yeah, the first. Wait, wait, although I can't. I can't say that we've, we've really struggled to, like most of the time, these owners are extremely compliant. So we've been very fortunate to not yes. have catastrophic failures. Um, yes. We recognize the potential in it. Mm. Um, it's like wearing your seatbelt. Like you wear your seatbelt because you know if there's an accident, it could be catastrophic. But luckily we haven't had to actually use our seatbelt. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, knock on wood, haven't personally seen a catastrophic failure in person. Um, you know, the guys that were teaching me, of course, they drill it into you. They drill yeah. it into us because, I mean, that's all they do. And they see the problems. Yeah, of course. And they're, I mean, because they're seeing the know, worst the general, of the worst. General yeah. practitioner goes through the surgery and now the surgery doesn't work. Well, it fails, something like that. I mean, that, you say general practitioner, but you're in, in a very small percentage of GPs that can do this surgery. Right. So, you know, right. let's but, but I'm But I'm not board certified. No, and those you're not are. orthopedic only. You know, you're right. still, a, yeah, but, in, but those, in GP. Those guys are, that's their wheelhouse. If anything that, that we do, you know, the guys out here that, that aren't board certified doing these surgeries, um, run into something like, I don't, I don't know how 
this this happened, this went wrong on the surgery. How do I fix this? We don't know. Mm -hmm. that's, that's when we send it to the guys. And so they get to see a lot more yeah. of those. Um, you know, and then of course they're they're teaching hospitals and stuff, so they you know they got to make the slideshows, the powerpoints. They've got to cover it all. Yeah. Right, and um, you know, so they see it, so they they have the pictures of it, and, yeah, and well, they do avoid it if you can't. Yeah, they do harp on us because, sadly, uh, most of the time, if you have a catastrophic failure of a TPLO, you're amputating a leg. Amputation. Yeah. Yep. I wondered what their yeah, plan was. That's. And then, and, but and you can't let that happen on both legs. I mean, you could. You have to have a wheelchair. That's yeah. a bummer. I had a dog in a wheelchair. It's hard. Yeah, but I mean, we look back to, you know, 18, 20 minutes ago on the podcast. If they had it on one, 80 percent of the time, yeah. they're gonna have it on the other. So exactly. If you have it on one, then you have a catastrophic failure. So now you amputate that leg. The other one, you're expecting that we're going to have to do surgery. Well, yeah, because it's going to be taking such a tremendous load. Right. Because now it's you know, the, and, and the it's already compromised. Show. Yeah. Because of the the genetic makeup mm -hmm. and and all of that, so so yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, you also recommend things like exercises and things like that, yes. and um, kind yeah. of some rehabilitation exercises. I do. There's in in the book that Dr. Keith talked about that we sent home. I um, didn't write it. I plagiarized ninety five percent of it. I mean, and uh, we can absolutely provide copyrights. Yes. For, uh, or what is that word? Citation. We cite citations. Cite. Yeah. yeah. There was a, a and I I'd have to look it up, but it was actually a vet clinic out of Canada that that had the majority of it. And then Bethany had found one. Yeah, and just kind of pieced together. Pieced together a few that, that to make I liked, a whole like, book. Yeah. That, that made sense. That was mm -hmm. that most everybody would be able to do these exercises that would actually gain us ground. Because these um, are things you're doing at home for the most part. Like you're able yeah. to. Yeah, you're you're able to do this. I mean, you know, the first two weeks is pretty simple. They they live in a cage. They go out on leash to go potty. Do some range of motion, some massage, some heat, ice therapy, things like that. You know, after we get through, make sure all the soft tissue portion of the surgery is healed. You know, the skin incision, sub Q, and all of that. Well, now we can start putting a few stressors on that leg, mm -hmm. and you know, not enough that that we're going to damage anything, but to start building those muscles up, building some of those softer yeah, tissues so they up. don't have atrophy you know we've, we've still got uh you know the joint capsule that that's going to thicken up a little bit you know our our collateral medial ligaments. buttressing i love to just say that i yes. know that it doesn't mean anything to anybody but medial buttressing is one of the most fun things to, to say it is it just means that the medial collateral ligaments are getting thicker to be more supportive to the knee to create yes. stability it is so so yeah we've got those soft tissues that are that are going to come up but we're also going to lose muscle. I mean, mm -hmm. muscle atrophy is a real thing. Anybody that's it can been, happen fast, been, been through an injury, it, the muscle goes away in a hurry. Yeah, when Max had his hip surgery, it was wild. And then we, that's why we brought in the laser, actually, was to try to help him start right. raising his leg and regain motion. And uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it, it did crazy things. Um, but you can, you can kind of figure on for every week that they're losing muscle, you've got at least two weeks to bring that much muscle back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we see them probably on average, the first time I see them is a month after the injury happened. So we've been losing muscle for four weeks. And then by the time we get everything situated, 
get be able to get on the schedule everybody get get everything at the house ready you know we're usually a week to two weeks post that so now we're six weeks say six weeks out well that's just before we get to surgery so you got 12 weeks just to replace that muscle yeah and now you've got another two weeks post-surgery that you're not doing much of anything mm-hmm. yeah so now you add another four weeks to that and then the next two weeks is just kind of hit or miss you're gonna probably a week for a week on that yeah you're still wash getting, it. Yeah. getting to use there so you know and then then the last four weeks of the the program of, of the eight weeks in there you're actually trying to build muscle so that's kind of where you start so you're you're four weeks post-surgery before you start building muscle and so you're 10 weeks from mm-hmm. the injury till you start building muscle so, so yeah, you double that weeks, yeah. that's 20 weeks to get all this muscle back mm-hmm. not to say that you're babying them the whole time but just like that's just to put it into perspective of how long this healing process really is taking on a systemic level yeah and and now and that doesn't mean that they are, they're not functional until they get to that point i mean typically at about 10 weeks 10 to 12 weeks they have enough muscle back up they didn't lose as much uh we used to lose a lot of muscle on the lateral suture yeah because they wouldn't use the leg at all for two to three to four weeks yep you know the tplo at least they're they are walking on it when they go outside to go potty and things like that so we're not using losing as much initially so on the tplo by the time they're at eight to ten weeks they're usually good to go do whatever they Mm -hmm. need to you know as soon as we see where the osteotomy um has healed or or where we cut the bone that the bone is healed you know the surgery itself is done at that point it's just about it's it's all healed it's it's set we just got to get the leg back in shape so it'll be ready whenever the next thing is to go to surgery yeah (laughs) sorry that's not at all funny if you're an owner of one of these dogs so anyway Um, speaking of is there anything that people can do to like prevent this or it's just it's just it like because people are like what did i do or if you if you like are the owner of one of these dogs you're like can i is there anything i can do to prevent it is it just kind of again the time bomb and it just is what it is and it's nobody's fault and it's just the cards you were dealt yeah it's just kind of the cards you were dealt um no guilt no no guilt um one thing preventing obesity i suppose yeah preventing obesity is a big thing you know because it, it if the dogs are heavier that's just more more pressure on it right um is is all that it is uh one thing that it won't help it to not have the injury but would help in recovery you know is if they swim a fair bit beforehand they cannot swim after surgery for eight weeks okay and they're just because there's no pushback and as they're they're swimming they can cause some issues with the surgery with that big snap and interesting okay yeah yeah i thought that was odd too good uh, to know but yeah but they say note to self not until that osteotomy is healed you don't swim interesting but swimming you know as, as a general part of exercise it builds back muscles builds leg muscles builds hip muscles so you already have those there you have a lot more core stability which helps in the recovery mm-hmm and they're like I said so stay in shape eat healthy yeah yeah that's about it solid advice it's you know if you have a a huge tibial plateau angle then you're 
there's a good chance you're going to have a cruciate tear. Yep. All right. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. There's not a lot except for get help when you need it and also <clears throat> pet insurance. Yes. That's what you can do to prevent the ache in your pocketbook. Yes. Is to get pet insurance before your dog blows his knee. Yes. So. Yeah, and there are, I, I heard one of our clients come in the other day that said that they'd called a couple of insurance companies and the dog hadn't had a knee issue yet, um, but he was like a year old, probably 16, probably 16 months old. I think he was here for his first round. And she said there was two of them that would cover everything except knee injuries. Yeah, so there is, um, there's a lot of them, yeah, that won't cover certain breeds for knee injuries. And there's some of them that have like a really long wait period, like a six month wait period on knees. Like you have to have insurance for at least six months before they'll cover a knee. Right. Um, and so those are things that you need to be checking those policy details on for sure. But most of the time, if you get your insurance on a puppy that's eight weeks old and you're making sure they don't have breed exclusions, if they have breed exclusions, you need a different insurance company, in my opinion, which right. whatever that's worth. Um, but yeah. Yeah, but you get that at, you know, start or start them in the insurance at eight to 12 weeks old. They don't have anything pre-existing at that point. That's right. So when they're two and three years old and we're in this situation, you'll be like, man, I'm glad I listened to that podcast. Yeah, or when they're nine months old and out riding in the golf cart in the farm and decide they're gonna jump out and they fracture a leg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or when they're nine weeks old and they eat your sock. Yeah. Anyway, there's a list of things, list of reasons. But, okay, we are kind of at max capacity on our podcast time. Um, I need to throw in oh. one more thing in there because I know a lot of people will talk about knee braces. They do that for humans. I know oh, uh, Dolly yeah. playing football. Yeah. We bought the school, not school, the quarterback club, the booster club, bought knee braces for all the linemen to help protect their, their ACLs. Interesting. Yes, they do make braces for dogs. I will recommend them when a dog is not a viable candidate for surgery. Got it. The downside is you're going to pay for a good brace. Yeah. Good braces are going to be six to $900, depending <laughs> on what. So don't I mean, just order one off Amazon is what I heard. Yeah, I mean, to, to help in some instances, yes. If you have a torn cruciate ligament, the braces that are going to help they're they're going to start it they may be down to like 500 now um, there was only one company and they were out of canada several years ago making them but was it dog legs Did no you, no okay no i can't remember the name of it um, but they were the only company i could find that were making them. but you're going to pay for a good good brace um, those braces are only going to last typically 18 months two years max it's cheaper to have surgery yeah, it would be. But, you know, if you have the 14-year-old the dog that has heart condition and, and maybe Absolutely. starting in some kidney kidney disease, you know, is surgery the right choice? I don't know that we can gain you enough especially ground. Especially like severe arthritis in the knee already or things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, so there, there's, I've had a few times that I recommended that. Yeah. So that is, a, that is an option. But no, if your dog's four, you know, about every 18 months, you're going to be replacing that. Yeah. And then you're going to yeah. be developing arthritis in the knee as you're going. Yeah. Out. Well, I've never even heard you talk about braces, so was, I'm glad you threw um, that in there. I don't, typically, because they're yeah. they're not. Yeah. I think I've recommended it for two dogs. I'm glad we covered that. So if it, in the future, if you need to reference one of those, if there's a new person, they'll they'll have this little tidbit at the end. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. All right, um, you can hear the rumbling in the background of all the construction stuff going on. So if you could hear that, we apologize, but we're very, very excited that we actually have construction on the new building post-tornado. Yes. Um, so yay for Northside 2.5, I think, because 2.0 plan got scratched. Yeah. <laughs> Lord help us. Okay. All right. That's all. If, again, always, if you guys have questions, comments, or concerns, uh, you can find us at Northside Veterinary Hospital in Shawnee, and svhok.com is our website. Um, and we're here to answer all the questions. Um, if you're on Facebook, of course, you can always comment there, and you can comment on the podcast themselves, and we will read your comments and, and your questions and answer them. So uh, we're just here to help. So if you need us, you know where to find us. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.